0: What's up, y'all? This is Dr. Craig Waleed, your host here on the Prison to Promise podcast, where I explore strategies formerly incarcerated people use to avoid returning to prison. On this episode, I'm joined by none other than the good sister, Helen Skeppin. Skip. If you're unsure if you can recover from drugs, alcohol, and the cycle of incarceration, you need to tune in and listen to Skip Skipper's story.
1: Skip shares
0: how from the age of 18 until the age of 40, she spent many years hustling and going in and out of jail, and prison for that matter, what she calls the Rinse and repeat cycles of recidivism, perhaps the will of recidivism, before recovering from addiction and mental health challenges, to using her lived experience to help others who travel similar paths. Don't miss this episode of Prison to Promise Podcast with me, your host, Dr. Craig Waleed and Skip Skipper. Let's go.
1: Yeah, it's great to see you. I'm glad we finally got a chance to sit down and um, chop it up. It seems like this has been a long-awaited opportunity that uh, just kept passing us by.
2: Yes, definitely, and I'm so grateful to be here and uh, be in community with you. I've also watched you and saw the good things you do and glad to be here.
1: Thank you so much, sister. I'm so humbled just to get that um, affirmation from you. You know, it's all about the people. We're really just trying to enlighten the people, strengthen the people, help the people recognize their own greatness, their own goodness, um,
2: so that they I can love that skills. Yeah. I love that. Thank you. Absolutely.
1: And so that's, you know, what I'm doing here with this Prison the Promise podcast. I want to highlight the achievements of formerly incarcerated people um, so that other formerly incarcerated people or currently incarcerated people or or people who are currently under the, 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 the boot, so to speak, of the criminal legal system can see other examples of how they too can become successful because there's other people like them who are doing it and who have done it and at the same time i'll probably be bringing on some people who also work in the system um who are also trying to help people realize their greatness um but without further ado i'm going to ask you sis to maybe um introduce yourself to the listeners tell listeners who you are and a little bit about yourself and your background
2: Oh my goodness. Thank you for that. That was a mouthful, but it was a mouthful that was well appreciated. So my name is Helen Skip, Skipper. I prefer to be called Skip. I am traumatized by the name Helen. Um, It has to do with my grandmother and a switch when I was in trouble as a youngster. And I don't know if you noticed, but I was always in trouble. Um, So therefore, at my later stage, I prefer to be called Skip. Skip. Where do I start? There is so much to talk about, but let's just throw this out here first. Those of us who are directly impacted deserve a seat at all tables, deserve to be in a process from the top down, not from the bottom up when, when policy and procedures build. And this is what I base whatever I do, on so let's just jump into it am I directly impacted yes I am do I call myself formally impacted no I don't because there's never a formally when you were tarred with the brush of the criminal justice system what's um, your life what I'm doing now I'm an executive director now but am I still tarred with the brush Yes I am well let's take it back a step um can't nobody see me. So ain't nobody got to say anything or laugh. And if you laugh, I'm gonna hear you. But I'm like a day over 18. And um, I started going back and forth into the crowd. I see you laughing. I see you. <laughs> I started going back into the system when I was 18. So I didn't do long time. But from the years between 18 and my early 40s, every year I was either locked up, getting released, Or as we say in the old school hustler style, throwing a brick at the penitentiary, which means I was about ready to get locked up.
1: Sure enough, I hear you there.
2: Or I was getting violated on a parole violation. So I did my time, not in straight time, but on the installment plan. Yeah. Call me queen recidivism. Mm. because I was stuck on that hamster wheel of recidivism for years, Mm. for years. I just didn't learn my lesson. There are other things that were present in my life, like substance abuse, mental illness, homelessness. I literally went from one system to the next. No system helped prepare me and wellness to live my best life and this is why I stayed on this hamster wheel of recidivism so if I'm getting released from jail and you're sending me to a shelter which is nothing but a baby jail just without the COs but with security guards and it's also a step up from the street because everything you could do out in the street you're doing in the shelter system
0: absolutely
2: um it wasn't but so long I could come in there with my head on straight and have blinders on and be like I've got to do XYZ, I've got to work, I've got to this, I've got to be a responsible member of society. But in looking at the environment that I was in and was having forced to come to every night to rest my head, sooner or later I fell. Every day. And the fall would be gradual. Um, I'd always have a good job. I've always had good jobs. Um, fortunately, I have a little bit of intelligence. I've worked on Wall Street. I've done bookkeeping and things like that. So basically, I could come home and land on my feet.
0: Yeah.
2: But in going in and out of these same traumatizing uh, systems, sooner or later, I'm saying, man, I wonder what's happening on the block. Anything is better than this. Um. And I would start sliding out to the block gradually, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. spending half a day. Then half a day became a day. And I lost my bed and had to sit for my bed again. But that didn't stop me because the minute I got paid, I'm sliding out to the block again. And that slide out to the block started becoming a day, two days, three days. And finally, I'm like, forget whatever I left back there. Like, I'm having fun. I'm making money. I'm getting high. I'm hustling. Yeah, and I don't need to go back there. I don't yeah. need to go back to the shelter. And I would lose everything once again. And I start permanently living on the block. And sooner or later, I would get caught. So maybe I wasn't a good hustler. Maybe I wasn't a good drug dealer. Maybe I wasn't a good thief. <laughs> yeah. I made money doing it. But eventually, I always got caught. Back yeah. in the system. And then we rinse and repeat and do this over and over and over again from the age of 18, like I said, until my early 40s. The last time I went in and they actually sent me to a drug program, I left the program, but then there was a life altering moment that happened. And if people are familiar with recovery and substance abuse was a big part of my life, and that's what led me into the criminal justice system. Mm -hmm. But there's this thing about recovery that recovery is not when you say I should get it.
0: Mm -hmm. It
2: is when I say I want it, I need it, I have to have it. And for a long time, I never said that. But when I had this life altering kind of experience, I was defeated. Mm-hmm. And I was ready to embrace and lean into recovery. Look, and what I can do
1: this real quick. Sure. Out of all those times that you found yourself on the rinse and repeat cycle, mm-hmm. uh, was there ever a time that you thought you had been already defeated, but then found yourself going back? And what was the difference between the time that you finally said, you know what, I'm done versus those other times?
2: You know what? Um, I want to say it like this. And I want to be intentional when I say it like this. I'm a hustler. Mm
0: -hmm. I can
2: talk my way into and out of anything. Yeah. So what might not look like fun to other people Mm -hmm. was actually a key key moment for me. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. even though I was locked up and continuously locked up, my situation wasn't as bad.
1: Mm -hmm. I didn't
2: have outside support, but I went in there and got my hustle on and was was the king of the jail, so to speak. Right. And it was never it never was hard like that. Mm-hmm. There are times when I heard the message of recovery. And I thought I was ready for it. I might have listened to it for mm-hmm. brief moments. Mm-hmm. But in all actuality, I wasn't ready for it. Because the minute I get that thought in my head about what's happening on the block, there I go trotting off down to the block. Oh. um, yeah. And like I said so this life altering moment came um, that utterly defeated me Mm. and when I say it defeated me it literally had me in like an out-of-potty experience looking at myself shaking my head saying what are you doing Mm. ain't you tired um and I was utterly humiliated and I was tired and at that point, I was ready to lay down and give up my life because I maybe had a flash. I rose out of my body. I saw what I was doing. And not only that, I had a flash toward the future. And I was like, I've been doing this for so long. Mm. I'm getting old. I I can't. I can't keep doing this. And
1: um, I'm just fly by on it.
2: Yeah. And also, um, I was raised, you know, so. I wasn't allowed to run wild. I I was raised. I had a mother. I had a father. I was raised in a church. Both of my parents worked for the city. Mm-hmm. We had some coin. We had two cars. I grew up in a house, yeah. a front yard and backyard. My mom wouldn't even let me go into a project or anything like that.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay.
2: Um. So a lot of times, my earlier life kept flashing back, and I kept saying to myself, "You know, my mother ain't raised me like this." Right, right. Like, really? Right. Like, come on. You know, she, when I was slapped silly into truth, mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> I, I, I said, I'm tired. And as it happened, I was also arrested for the last time. Mm-hmm. And when I went before the judge, usually they see this big telephone book of, of a rap sheet I have. And it's always way to key lock me up up under the jail we're mm-hmm. not giving you no opportunities you're a frequent flyer um yeah <laughs> but i guess the judge really kind of like peeked over at me from his paperwork on the podium and he saw somebody standing there in front of him in utter total defeat mm. and he saw that
1: mm. and you know
2: what this good man did for me
1: sound like he took pity on you
2: he took pity on me and he sent me to a program not just a program he picked me up out of my environment i'm new york city born and bred when i was hustling i was out in harlem i was out on the deuce on 42nd street mm-hmm. there wasn't an inch of new york city i didn't know where to make some money at the hustle to cop from to pick up a package
1: mm-hmm. he it in the street
2: yeah he did me the tremendous favor of not only giving me a program he gave me a program out of my environment. I'm from the city. He sent me all the way out to Suffolk County, Long Island. Mm, That's mm. like an hour train ride. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. I didn't
2: even know where I was going. But yeah. in that environment, I I thrived. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I still had to come back to the city because I was still on parole. Mm-hmm. Um, but my head started, I started hearing the message. Mm. I was so in a know, sober you know, house. Yes, I was attending a program during the day and living in a sober house. Mm. And in the sober house, what we did for recreation all the way out there in Suffolk County at the end of the island was go to NA meetings. That was our, our recreation. And then you had the NA meetings that had the little parties and the anniversaries. That was our chance to dance and holler and hoop it up. Mm. Um, there was nothing like I could go outside and look this way and look that way and see somebody working or see something happening that I needed. And and that was what I needed to give me a chance to be reflective, to be intentional and get my head on straight. So I went out to this program, I excelled, I graduated, I started running a sober house. um, And I still didn't know what to do with my life. I was still out there on the island. I was out of work, out of the program, looking for a job. Got a job at Bender and Bender, um, being a case manager and helping people file for Social Security. Um, got traumatized there because I also suffer from mental health issues. And I also suffered at that time, but not feeling good enough because I was still going through my process. Mm. And them folks, that's all I'm going to say.
1: Them folks, if everybody was listening, they either know who them folks is or they don't. Yeah,
2: them folks talked down to me so much, made me feel something smaller than what I was that I was thoroughly traumatized when they finally fired me. And at that point, I was glad they fired me because when you have me in the bathroom crying, struggling not to go and punch you in your face, going back to my roots, Mm -hmm. then there's a problem.
1: And, you know, Skip, a lot of folk don't understand how them folk treat people and it becomes traumatizing. And mm-hmm. many times we have to struggle mm-hmm. with our own emotional uprising because mm-hmm. of it's like, like you said, should I go punch this mug in the face and get the steam off or should I swallow it? Because exactly how, how we come up is like if you do something wrong to me, I punch you in the face. I hit you in the exactly.
2: Head. And guess what? I yeah. could do the time because I've done plenty of time. Yeah. Do you yeah. know you within an inch of your life right now? Yeah. And they Instead, don't because I had grown.
1: Yeah.
2: I I was in the bathroom crying.
1: Yeah.
2: To stop myself yeah. from, and um, around that time, I didn't know anything about peer support. Mm-hmm. I knew somewhat of it because when you're in the rooms, when you're in NA, and I was very much into NA, mm-hmm. you learn about how someone who is the same or similar to you, mm-hmm. you can use them as a mentor, or as a support mm-hmm. mechanism. You can lean on them. They're a little um, bit so, up
1: the road than you are.
2: Yeah. Some of my some of my cronies that we kicked up and danced the house music at these parties was also counselors and a director of the program that I was in. Mm -hmm. And I was sitting up in their backyard, playing around in their pool, having a a barbecue. Mm
0: -hmm. And then the
2: next day, I'm getting in trouble because I didn't do my homework when we at the program, you know. But that's how small Suffolk County was. Your counselors and all of them, they was also your friends, you Mm know. Uh, These women that I met out there helped me grow up. Mm -hmm. I grew up in the system. I -hmm. started going to Rikers Island before Singer Center was built. I was in the old woman's house. I then was one of the first inmates in the Rosam Singer Center. Mm -hmm. Um, I grew up there. So navigating life outside of that institution without me getting high was something I needed to learn. I needed to learn about relationships. I needed to learn how to do this without having to pick up a mind, a mood, altering substance. What
1: told you or convinced you that you had to start learning this stuff? and not stay in the other realm that you had been in for so long?
2: I saw the differences. I felt the differences. Um, I was always mature for my age because I was always around a lot of older people who kind of led me into doing things.
0: Yeah.
2: But having a relationship inside versus coming outside and having one, I didn't know nothing about that.
0: Yes, definitely.
2: Having having a a friend. With no expectations, yeah. I didn't know anything about that. When you grow up inside, it's called institutionalization. You don't really show it, but you do everything by the rules and things that you learned inside. So, you know, you don't, you're not letting nobody get that close to you. Right. You know what I'm saying? I even I had to know. learn. I even had to learn how to speak up and talk about my feelings. Right. Um, because where we came from, we, we don't do that you know right. what i'm saying
1: you show anger yeah show emotion, but that's about it
2: but that's it oh uh, do we go and say yo i'm really having a bad time uh i just really need to talk to someone we don't do none of that we don't do just like we don't use therapy and things like that yeah. this is all stuff that i learned and i learned to utilize yeah. um i one day saw so, and this was this will tell you how old i am but if anybody says anything i'm gonna punch them in the face straight cheek. <laughs> um there was an ad in the newspaper you better hope
1: to get your age
2: exactly there was an ad in the newspaper now these kids today they don't know nothing but indeed an idealist and things right. like that back know, in the I'm days you. you bought a newspaper and got you a pen you and circled ads. and circled something yeah you know highlighted. And and picked up the phone, a wall phone, at that, and yeah. called them. We ain't yeah, yeah. had no cell phones and things no like no. that, unless <laughs> you, you was, unless you was hustling and making money. Yeah. <laughs> you feel yeah. what I'm Big saying? Old
1: phone, exactly. Big old phone
2: then. Exactly. You needed a whole bag to carry that phone. No doubt. Um. Uh. And it said something, and I'll never forget it because it was a turning point in my life. It said, "Have you been impacted by the criminal justice system?" Mm are you in recovery from addiction and mental health issues? Have you been homeless? And I said, what is this? Is somebody in my head? This is a job. They want this type of experience I have. Because when I come home, I got to jump through some hoops to get a good job, which means I have to dumb down where I've been and what I've been doing. I have fake resumes. I got friends on standby with a copy of the resume. So you're my reference. These people on the call, you. here's what you say. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, if I knew that it was gonna do a background check, I was like, "Oh, I can't fuck with them." Like, right,
0: right, 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 right. No, I was like, good.
2: "I can't, I can't mess with them." Yeah, you know yeah, what yeah. I'm saying? But all of a sudden, I read about a job that wants everything that I have. Of course, I'm curious, right. and uh, I go down to this job, and I actually get this job. And how this job has such an impact on me? I got the job the day Michael Jackson died. Oh wow. And this job was for a peer specialist. Mm -hmm. I did not know what a true peer specialist was. Mm -hmm. On on Rikers Island, I worked as a suicide prevention aide, which is kind of like someone that is just available to talk to other inmates about any feelings they're having, trying to help them navigate, especially first time people who are locked up, they don't know what's going on, they don't know how to use the phone you know, plus you go and joke them because you're going to get them, give them all your knowledge but you're going to get them for the little commissary and stuff. You know what I'm saying? Um,
1: No doubt, but I know the game. Yeah,
2: but that's what I was doing. Um, I had no idea that there was something called peer support Mm. and I was hired as a peer for the Rainbow Heights Club that was in Brooklyn and I used to come out from Long Island and make it into Brooklyn to do this job. In this job, I learned about peer support what it is and what it isn't and finally I felt like I had landed on something that didn't care about my background that actually wanted the history I have and I excelled at that and my next step was um, my director who kind of recognized that there was something great in me Mm-hmm. It, it was coming out. It wasn't there. I just needed opportunities. He saw this position to be an assistant to a well-known advocate uh, on the New York statewide level. Mm-hmm. And they were hiring for an assistant. They wanted somebody to build up, uh, develop a leader And them, so to speak. And he saw that ad, and this is the director of my then job. Uh He sends me this in an email, and all he says is, I'm just saying. (laughs) And um,
1: again, for those who know, (laughs) know.
2: Yeah. And um, I looked at it, I thought about it, and finally I decided to jump out on some faith, and I got that job. And that job opened me up to advocacy. Um, working in mental health and substance abuse and, mm-hmm. and advocacy, still as a peer, still mm-hmm. guided by my lived experiences yeah. and helping other people. Mm-hmm. I learned how to advocate, I learned how to sit at the table doing a meeting. I learned how to be on a board. I learned how to create things and my career kind of took off. Yeah. So this was from the day Michael Jackson died and I've been working in peer support ever since that day. Now peer support, is someone who uses their lived experiences to help mentor and assist others. Mm -hmm. We don't tell people what to do, but we're here that we're there to create mutuality, not to glorify, but to say, Hey, I went through that too. This is how I made it out. Use me as a mentor. I have moved up in that. Um, So I moved up in there and then what happened? And I just kept working successfully, better jobs. Um, I became the only peer supervisor at the Department of Health and Mental Hygiene, which is New York City's uh, kind of like uh, health, major health services on the government side. Yeah. And yeah. there are still some places where when you are a peer, you're stigmatized. Absolutely. The same, the same as you would be if you're just doing something and they found out, oh, you've been in jail. Mm-hmm. Um, stigmatized as well but there were still some some places that i was stigmatized and i got tired of being stigmatized and while i always said i had a phd of life yeah. i didn't need to go back to school I, I i did my phd on substance abuse programs i worked right. i wrote my master's on homelessness
0: yeah
2: um on that park bench is yeah. where i did my thesis
1: yeah on how to that's hustle that's
2: you know what I'm saying? I always say I not don't, I don't need them letters behind my name. I don't need to go back to school.
1: You know, but I was the- just telling some people today, um, I said, there are so many people who have never been to school and they are mm-hmm. much more brighter than those of us who have degrees. They just mm-hmm. haven't gone to school. If, if not much more brighter, way more brighter.
2: Exactly. And I said that. I said I'm intelligent. You can tell I'm intelligent. I got the gift of gab that comes from my hustling days. So yeah, I could talk to you about anything. Yeah. You know, I don't need those those letters, those PhDs and masters and BAs behind my name. But what happened is that the more I got into policy, I did some voluntary things. I advocated for some things. I was ahead of some coalitions. Moving forward, the idea of lived experiences, um, the more I was invalidated, the more I said that I need to do something to even the playing field. And what I, I realized is that in order to effect change, in policy and procedure, in order to sit at the table with the policymakers, I need to know the same collegial rhetoric that they know. Mm. I need to know about critical analysts. I need to know about critical thinking. I need to know how to string together a professional proposal. I got my street smarts. Right. Never going to leave them. Right. Right. But the, the same way that I can stand stuff. on a corner and mm-hmm. kiki with the fellas, yeah. um, I need be to be able to board sit room. in a boardroom.
1: Yeah. Talk about how important that is.
2: That is that so important because as the idea for people with lived experiences to be pushed forward, to implement change, mm-hmm. we still have to speak and we have to think
0: mm-hmm.
2: like those that are in power. Yeah, have done since yeah. the millennium. Yeah, so yeah. do we need to sharpen our skills? Mm-hmm. Yes, we do. I cannot sit in a boardroom and ask somebody for an, a million dollar grant and be like, "Yo, my nigga, what up?
1: Right. Good?
0: right,
2: right, <laughs> yo, ha- hand me the coin. Right, and we good. You know what I'm saying? Right. I, can't, I can't. I can't do that. I can't do that. Um, again, I heard like somebody
1: I say, say before, Skip. I heard them say that's what you call being multi dialectical.
2: Exactly. To
1: speak other people's language. Exactly.
2: Exactly. And still remain true to yourself. Right.
1: And can bridge the gap between both worlds. Uh, Exactly. So,
2: at the same time that I was realizing that, a program opened up in John Jay and it was called the Navigator Program for Community Justice and Social Mm -hmm. Service. Mm -hmm. And basically, the premise was that they were looking for directly impacted people. And what they were going to do was give them some college education type courses. Mm -hmm. I teach them how to work in social justice agencies, Mm -hmm. working in social justice, working in community justice. Um, And it also came with college credits. I did that. And. The first time I walked up in there thinking I knew everything. I was already working in social service. Mm-hmm. I had gone to the top of my profession. I was a peer supervisor. Mm-hmm. Had a team under me. Was making good coin.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, but I walked in there thinking I knew everything. Mm-hmm. And the professor, a black professor, he looked at me and said, "Write me a five-page paper in APA style." <laughs> I said, "Huh?" "What?" "What?" Yeah. I was so shook I gave him 10 pages with yeah. no sites. I didn't even know what APA style was. Yeah, then yeah. he started talking to me about agency. I said, huh? Agency? Yeah, Ain't yeah. that some place where you go to beg for some food stamp? I
1: didn't even know. What,
2: I didn't even know what agency meant.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. But always I learned work, right? always I words.
2: learned exactly. And I opened myself up to learning. And yeah. the next thing you know, I done caught the fever. I'm like, oh, I need to go back to school. Yeah. I like what I'm learning. I it's like nice, this in my brain it?
1: Yeah. in
2: this way. And um
1: it rewires your thinking.
2: Mm-hmm. Where I wanted to go to school was the same college that did the program, John Jay College
0: mm-hmm.
2: of Criminal Justice.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: They looked at me and said, Oh, where are your SAT scores? I said, Honey boo-boo. I left out of school at 16. <laughs> I'm in my early 50s. I don't even remember taking a SAT test at all. She said to me, well, then you can't come here. You need to go to a community college for two years. And I was really disgusted at that. I felt that was like a step back. Mm -hmm. And I had to think about it. But at the same time, somebody told me about St. Francis College, which Mm -hmm. is a private four-year Franciscan college that costs Mm -hmm. like $30,000 a year. They were building out a program called Justice Initiatives, where if you have criminal justice impact, they will enroll you in school. And anything past financial aid is free. They will give you a scholarship for that. Now we're talking about a private four-year Franciscan college. Mm-hmm. Tuition is like thirty thousand a year. Mm-hmm. But if you are just as impacted, they're saying, come on over. Wow. I started going there in twenty nineteen as a freshman. I was really excited about being in school because I did have two years of college um, when I was about 18. But those two years of college was was spent going from student union to student union. And back then, house music was just coming out. And the student unions was rocking on different days. And Monday was St. John's and Tuesday was York College and Wednesday was another school. So it wasn't about classes. It was about hanging out jam into that house music and by the way I'm still a househead to this day um so basically those whole two years I messed up
1: so let me ask you a couple of questions because uh, mm-hmm. we're running we're about to run out of time and I yeah. want uh, yeah just hit you with a couple of questions but first I wanted to make an observation because you said something earlier about how you got uh, taken out of the city and you went out to Long Island and the importance of just changing the environment you know and how that change of environment, helped you start to reflect and really go back to how you were raised to those values that your mama and them mm-hmm. gave you when you were coming up. Exactly. You know, it also made me think about when I was growing up, my mom had mm-hmm. a whole lot of plants in the house. And sometimes mm-hmm. she would take the plants and change mm-hmm. the environment because the plant was dying. She put it in a bigger pot or a smaller mm-hmm. pot, move it mm-hmm. in a different room, further away from the window, closer to the mm-hmm. window, and mm-hmm. the plant would grow. So just hearing you talk about yourself like that made me think about those plants. But mm-hmm. um, that's just one observation. There's a bunch of stuff, but one of the other things I wanted to ask you is, um, what would you say is, is um, what would you say is maybe most important for someone who's finding themselves struggling with going in and out of prison in and out of jail, hung up on drugs and alcohol and crime? What would be the most important thing for them to get in order?
2: First of all, you have to believe in yourself. And not only believe in yourself, you have to believe in the fact that there is something greater out there for you. Mm -hmm. The recovery is about the hope and the promise that there is something better. Once you start believing that you might not know what that something Mm -hmm. better is. But if you can believe it, you Mm -hmm. can reach it. I don't care who you believe in, what religion you ascribe Mm -hmm. to, put Mm -hmm. a rock in a paper bag and put it on your front lawn and believe in that.
1: Yeah, hope, faith.
2: Exactly. Your potential to
1: rise above your current condition.
2: Exactly. Allow that to to guide you Mm -hmm. and you will be guided. And as you are opening up to the process, as you're leaning into the process, be open because there's going to be opportunities that's going to come at you that you don't even know where they're coming from Yeah,
0: yeah.
1: And, and be on, open to them. And on top of that, and I dig that. And that sounds so um, very close to my own experiences and the experiences of other people I've talked to. Um, one of the other things I think is also important and, you know, shine on this or, or, or spit on it one way or the other, but I think um, persistence, people have to be of persistent course. too, because there course. might be some setbacks. Of course. The frustrations and whatnot. And people want to go back to the block, go back to the bottle, go back to the blunt, whatever it is they do.
2: But you use that, but just use that in a new way. The Mm -hmm. same way you was out there hustling for a dollar, making sure that package was correct, making sure you could get another package. Mm -hmm. Hustle for your life. Yeah, Use that same hustle tendency to bring about your version of wellness. Everybody is the master of their own life. Absolutely. Once you figure out what your version of wellness is, you move heaven and earth to go for it because ain't nobody going to give it to you.
1: And that's the true meaning of education, I think, mm-hmm. which is really being able to bring forth that which is latent, that which is within inside
2: of you. Exactly.
1: So, how about this? Two other things. Um, if you were to capture your journey um, in a title or in, in a phrase, what would that be?
2: Oh my goodness i'm gonna give you two shoot my first one is there before the grace of god go i and i say that often because it could have been another way it didn't have to be this way mm-hmm. my second one um amanda gorman when she gave the inaugural uh mm-hmm. poem right after they overran the Capitol. Mm -hmm. she had a phrase in there that is my backbone she said for there is always light if you're brave enough to see it
1: oh yeah there
2: is always light if you're brave enough to be it i am that brave person i am brave enough to see it and i am brave enough to be it
1: oh man so i got goosebumps Just remembering her saying that and just Mm -hmm. picturing you with that emblazoned across your soul, blazing across your heart.
2: Mm -hmm. And
1: And so many other people who've been, you know, down similar roads that you and I have traveled, you know, if they can take that and be brave enough to see Mm -hmm.
2: it. And that's all it is. And you will excel. You will shine. You will rise above. And one other thing, Mm -hmm. I am unapologetic. I will not apologize to you or anyone about my history, about my lived experiences, but I will use those experiences for betterment.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm with you.
2: Mm -hmm. And that that is it.
1: Yeah. And yo, thank you so much for sharing your story with me. I got goosebumps listening to your story. you. you. articulated it so well anybody that listens to it can see it happening you know and I think that if they have been on similar roads they can learn learn from you glean from you and take that wisdom to propel themselves forward thank you if people wanted to reach you how can they reach you
2: Oh, my email, can I put it in the chat or should I say it out loud? loud. Okay, my email is capital NYC, capital J-P-I, capital E, lowercase X-E, capital D-I-R at cases.org I am the executive director of the New York City Justice Peer Initiative where I am building a justice peer certification for those of us who are directly impacted you can also reach me on LinkedIn Helen Skipper you can reach me on Twitter at Prideism and I'm here and I'm not leaving until I create and do some things
1: dope dope yo this is dope I really appreciate this call. I
2: appreciate you, brother, for all you do and all you put forth and how you shine a light on our stories. And these are the things that need to get out there. Stop talking about the violence. Stop talking about the gangbangers. Stop talking about the recidivism. Mm -hmm. Talk about those of us who are are directly impacted,
1: who are making
2: changes in our community. Shine a spotlight on us.
1: And that's just what i want to do to let the people Mm -hmm. who are doubting us realize that we have something to give and the people Mm -hmm. who are like us who are not sure if they have something to give to realize that they
2: too have something to give yes you do
1: if you or someone you know would like to share their story on this podcast or if you'd like to leave a comment or suggestion, please drop me a line using lowercase letters at d r c r a i g w a l e e d at gmail.com. That is Dr. Craig Walid at gmail.com. Thank you so much, and I look forward to hearing from you. Peace.